Welcome to ASM Connected, the podcast brought to you by ASM Technologies. In the series, we explore the emerging trends and tech within the industry, meeting key speakers, futurists and business leaders from across the globe. In this episode, ASM Technologies' Ian Tomkinson and Stephen Dale speak with Inma Martinez, described by Time magazine as one of the best talents in digital human behaviour. As a digital pioneer and scientist, Inma advises business leaders and governments on digital transformation for competitive advantage and societal progress, and is also a published author with her latest book looking at the future of the automotive industry. Over the next 30 minutes, Inma discusses this further, looking at the tech innovation that's happening in the automotive industry, what our roads and cities will look like in 10 years' time, how automotive companies will drive societal change with technology, and how we're all training the cars of tomorrow every time we use the internet. All of that to come on ASM Connected. Today, we have the pleasure of talking with Inma Martinez about emerging technologies in the automotive sector. So for me, this promises to be a a great episode today. Ian, you and I talk about cars a lot. I drive a hybrid. You've got an electric one on the way. And I think you know that my favorite tech gadget is the remote climate control. But I've got a feeling today we're going to be talking about some slightly more advanced technology in the sector. So what are you looking to get out of it today, Ian? Yeah, obviously cars is something that we do probably spend more time talking about. And my favourite bit of the car is the bit that stops you from hitting other people. That seems to be uh, quite good these days. And I think the technology behind that, I'm sure we're going to cover that at some point because that is a fascinating technology and how that works as a whole. But yeah, emerging technologies, it's not just about the automotive industry. I think computers are turning into vehicles rather than vehicles that are taking on computers, but we'll, we'll see what uh, Inma's opinion is on that. So yeah, welcome to the podcast, Inma. Looking forward to uh, walking through some of our questions and and hopefully shedding some light on some of the topics that we've got lined up today. Great. So happy to be here. So we've got a, a loose plan to stick to. We can take it in all sorts of directions, but we'll be covering emerging technology and innovation with the importance of agility. Uh, hopefully, we'll be touching on topics like data science, AI, human-centric products, and generally their use in interesting fields like the automotive industry. But before we get into the technical side, Inma, I've been looking at your work. You're delivering insights in a variety of ways from keynote speeches to workshops. You've done advisory panels, written books, podcasts, obviously, and seemingly everything in between. And I wanted to know which is your favorite platform to generally engage an audience and affect change. Well, um, the majority of my work is government advisory. And then obviously, after X number of months, we put out white papers. So we create events where we share with world audiences what governments are up to. I'm not a big Twitter person and I'm not one of those people that puts lots of things on LinkedIn because I am literally working the whole day. I'm not really on social media, but I try to get on programs such as yours because I know that audiences that are really keen to understand the future is what they connect to. So I, I do lots of radio, TV. I do podcasts with, you know, whether it's public media or with uh, private companies, because I think that 
this is a phenomenal medium to uh, reach out to people and, and really build uh, a narrative that is intimate and yet it's educational. I agree. That's a, that's a great answer. And, and so glad to hear that you're a fan of the podcasts. Uh, so we, we've got some great questions for you today. Ian, um, do, you want, do you want to get us going? Yeah, why not? So um, we're leaning on the uh, conversation of the automotive sector, which is a great showcase for all kinds of emerging technology. I suppose that a warm up question as such is how far have we come and where are we going over the next few years in that sector? Um, Well, we've come a long way since the good people at Bosch walked into Mercedes in the 1950s and they showed them an electric ignition gadget. I mean, that was the first piece of soft electricity that went into a car. And um, I think that this sector in specific has been forced to completely transform itself so many times. I mean, it used to be about transport and then it was forced to be obsessed with safety and then obsessed with perfection and efficiency. And that's why electronics and software and even AI algorithms made it into the cars. It's kind of like the ultimate machine that continues to be upgraded and upgraded and improved to levels that are the stuff of dreams. And that is what prompted me to focus on this transformation roadmap and bring on kind of like, why is this sector such a leading example of innovation? And it's because it's been forced to deal with massive problems that were far beyond taking people and things from A to B. So even though some car manufacturers have level five computer vision labs where, you know, cars are really going by themselves, is is now the point where, you know, the auto industry cannot be just the single sector leading this. We need a legal framework. We need cities to have smart roads and kind of IoT smart infrastructure. So now the picture is huge. It's not just bigger. So the cars that we see on today, the 2021-22 cars, are nothing like the ones that we'll be sitting on in five years' time. Absolutely. And uh, I always uh, sort of uh, think about innovation, particularly in uh, cars. And I know, uh, obviously, Elon Musk has done a a lot to uh, move the car along in the last decade alone. But I do think as well sometimes that how far have we come? Because, you know, I grew up in the 70s with milk floats and uh, the electric uh, car delivering (laughs) organic product. And you kind of look back at that and think, well, yeah, how far actually have we come? But uh, but yeah, no, in terms of safety alone, um, I, I think you've got a, a fair point there. And, uh, you know, I, I know uh, particularly Volvo in particular, you know, that they invented the three-point seatbelt, didn't they? And they decided not to patent it so that everyone else could have access to it. Indeed. But for example, assisted brakes or, for example, assisted steering, something where the cars have been programmed to take over what goes on with the car. Because most people, when they go into an apex, what they do is that they brake, and on top of that, they steer in the wrong way. So cars have been made to override whatever the human is trying to do so that people don't jet off the roads. 
And this is one of those little secrets that the auto industry doesn't even mention in the catalog or the features. You know, by the way, if you're such a Muppet that you're going to be breaking right in an apex, <laughs> the car is just going to take over. Uh, nobody likes that. But it's one of the best examples I can show that AI has been inside the cars since probably the 80s. Yeah, absolutely. I love that term. Yeah, if you're going to be such a Muppet, the car's going to take over. That's fantastic. I'm sure there are a few people out there that need it more than than others. I must admit, I I am guilty that sometimes um, the car starts braking before I do, but I just think it's, uh, I'm one of those people that breaks last minute. Well, that's what my wife tells me anyway. In in terms of just taking that onto the next level, in terms of the broader implications for the industry, they go way beyond just the vehicles themselves. With the need for the supporting infrastructure, which you touched on there, and pushing on to, I suppose, the realisation that smart cities that we've dreamed of and heard of for many years, what other technologies are going to play a role in this overall innovation? Because it's bigger than just the actual car itself, isn't it? It is. I mean, the best way to get a fully automated level five car to function is computer vision. And every time that we all sit in front of a computer and we get to a place where somebody says, are you a robot? And we have to click on a bunch of bicycles. We are training uh, Waymo, the uh, level five uh, auto company that Google bought. And I think that Google should pay us all for training such an AI system. But uh, what happens is that if cars move at speed and in areas where other vehicles are also moving at speed, Computer vision is not enough. You need to start managing the flow of the vehicles. That's why we're going to see loads of uh, roadside units, uh, you know, the IoT of the highways, and we're going to see uh, uh, traffic management systems that will basically make red lights and green lights obsolete because if you know how many cars are coming into a crossroads, you know how you need to move a certain part of the traffic this way or that way. And eventually, one of the uh, things that we all concur in the industry is that in 15 years' time, the, the traffic signals will be lifted off the streets. And probably you will not have to break if you don't have to, because your car will adapt itself to the speed that is the best one to actually cross a section of a city. So this kind of intelligence in terms of the management is what is coming to cities, is coming to roads. And and there's been very interesting projects in the U.S., for example, where certain uh, strips of highways um, have been fitted with uh, roadside units and, and they were able to tell you the amount of fright that was passing through because it could detect the weight of the uh, long-haul vehicles and know if they were loaded up with goods or they were empty. And this type of information is what will bring a new reality to how we move ourselves and things around the world. It's going to have a connection into the world of logistics, for example. I mean, even if you drive your own car, you will be part of a big logistics algo as to how to get into london at 3 p.m wow yeah that that's crazy i suppose steve when you were uh, using your google maps to guide you home to through the traffic you didn't realize that you were training google for the next generation of cars no, I, th- I think I did. Yeah, I did. I don't mind them knowing where I'm going. Um, yeah, I'm someone who uses Google Maps even even when I know where I'm going, just so that I've got a good idea of what time I'll get there. And we all have this tendency to try and race against the sat nav, don't we? But it always seems to get it just about right. 
So it's it, it's coming a long way. It's really interesting, this. I, I don't think the intelligent road planning has made its way to where I live at the moment, but I'm really excited about all these different technologies coming together. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, Inma, is I've heard you um, talking about human-centric products. And I, I like it when this emerging technology gets into the realm of, of the people that it's designed for. And recently, as a business, we've worked on projects with some of our customers around smart things like human insight AI. And that, that's been used in the automotive and the aviation sector. It sounds really cool. It's a new concept to a lot of people. And I wanted to drill into this and say, is this technology all about making our lives easier, making our lives safer, or is there sort of another purpose to it all as well? I think I'm sort of getting into the realms of your societal progress uh, interest here. So people that um, work in design, industrial design or graphic design, they were trained to create output taking in, into consideration human factors. That was the old way to call this discipline. Yeah, Meaning if a human is going to use this spoon or is going to sit on this chair, it has to be appropriate, it has to be comfortable, it has to work, but it has to be friendly and, and obviously serve its purpose, but serving the human needs. Yeah, And then that kind of book of rules moved on to pretty much any other product and service, and especially in digital with the famous user experience and user interface. I mean, if you remember the first websites, they looked like a dog's dinner. You know, nobody cared about how things looked. It was about code and HTML and putting the things up. And then all of a sudden someone says, but no, people like looking at beautiful things and easy to find tabs and buttons. So... In cars, for example, what is a human-centric design of a new model? Well, it means that if we are making cars intelligent so that they are programmed to take decisions to increase safety, efficiency, and a bunch of other things, one of the sections in my book is I talk about a smart car has to be smart, as in street smart. And what is that? That it has to adapt itself to the owner that drives it and the street where it rides. Just like when you come from a small village and you move into a big town and you have to completely learn about a bunch of things to survive, yeah? So one of the areas of AI is, you know, evolutionary AI. You know, the car would learn about how you drive it, for example, the driving style of the people in, in your town. If you have ever driven in Rome, you know that they're mad, right? Like they brake when nobody's braking and it's just like nonsensical. Well, someone buying a top of the line 2025 car will probably pretty fast learn about how Romans drive <laughs> in that sycophantic way. So it will just learn it. And that is a human-centric approach to products, especially products that are powered by AI. The AI has to train itself to learn its new environments. And I think that this is one of the most fascinating areas of AI that is beginning to connect with the concept of human-centric, meaning 
It has to serve the needs and the wishes and the dreams and the safety of the human that is using it. That's a, that's a great answer. Um, I, I think from that, you, we've got to play our role in that, haven't we? If uh, cars are going to learn and adapt and almost be agile and adapt to the surroundings and the people that are driving them, I think we need to play our role and sort of almost give up that information and that data that we're often a little bit cautious about letting these big corporates have. So if these vehicles are going to be taking on and consuming all this data around who we are and what we're doing, is the industry going to suddenly become full of data scientists trying to interpret and work with this data? Or are the tools out there good enough to surface the data in the correct way and, you know, the AI interprets it for us? So, you know, is the car industry going to be full of data scientists or is there going to be some people left designing what the cars look like? Well, definitely uh, people will continue to design how cars look like and obviously uh, what would be a very cool feature to add to a new range. The data will show us how people are using the current version of the car that we have put in the market and what alternative uses they're beginning to put the car through, which is the most interesting thing. And then based on that, you start wondering, well, I guess that people are using this in this new way. Why don't we actually take it to a full production and make that a feature in the next version? So I worked many, many years in product innovation at Nokia when, when Nokia was kind of like the leading mobile beacon. And we used to ask ourselves all these questions based on the data that was coming to us from how people were using their mobile phones. And this is how the concept of an app came out even before the iPhone and Apple put the uh, App Store. You know, we knew that people wanted some kind of, uh, you know, widget on their phones. So data scientist is one of the fastest growing professions because the data that, the, that goes around the world today is so huge and it's going to become even bigger when IoT becomes the internet of not just objects, of everything. Designers, engineers, everybody will have a lot more information as to what works, what doesn't work, how people are really using it. Right now, for example, you ask Mercedes or BMW, do you have any clue as to how people are using your cars? And they have no idea because the cars don't send information back to BMW in Munich. But imagine a world where data would go back and then BMW would realize like, that feature that we put in the panel, in the dashboard, nobody has a clue what it is for and nobody uses it. Let's just take it out. And it, this, this will really enhance, you know, the usability and the functionality of every feature that, you know, is fitted into a car. Because like I said, nobody has a clue if people like it unless you do the famous focus groups, which never work <laughs> because... People tell high stories about their use of things that don't match reality. It's one of the things I learned from the CMO of Unilever. He banned focus groups forever in the firm. And it's better to actually observe people and get the data right there from when they're using stuff. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really interesting. I'm sure we've all got a few uh, buttons in the car that we have no idea what they do or uh, or how we use them. I know, I know certainly I have. Just on a more sort of personal interest angle to this, what conversations should our listeners in the tech sector be having with their customers or other stakeholders about the opportunities for what you call the fifth industrial revolution will present? 
know, I'm thinking perhaps uh, outside of automation in general, perhaps things like 5G, cloud security, how are they all going to play a role moving forward? Anyone offering digital products and services are going to be part of the new telecom industry called 5G, edge and cloud computing. It's literally the architecture and the infrastructure of this new century. And I always give an example that people immediately said, okay, I get it, which is the world in the 80s and 90s built the whole infrastructure that we have today. The superhighways, the privatization of roads, water projects, oil and gas. I, I was in banking in those years, financing all of this uh, show. And I realized that when you build infrastructure is not about a bridge, it's not about a road. You're creating the potentiality for that to serve companies and businesses and people to actually do things on them or through them. And when you look at roads, they have enhanced transport and commerce and communications between cities and, and the moving of goods. And when we build the internet, and especially now with cloud, especially cloud and data centers, the whole interconnection, it's showing us that there is a digital ecosystem that it allows everyone to participate and connect to each other, to customers, into a central base. And I think that this is a reality that with 5G and obviously edge computing, which is the Internet of Everything, will obviously catapult um, you know, the, the, the economic value of everything that we're building. So even if you are not into telecoms, but you have digital products and services, you should follow what's going on with 5G and cloud because you will be living there. You will be selling and offering products and services within that realm. And I think definitely edge computing is one of the areas that is beginning to be untapped and is going to offer such opportunities, such opportunities, because not everything is about cloud and long distance telecommunications. You know, there's a lot of telecommunications that happen within radiuses and, and proximity and will enhance whatever you do. Yeah, edge computing is actually something that we've covered off recently with a couple of other guests in terms of autonomous vehicles and different uh, scenarios like that. So, uh, yeah, I, I can see that's going to be a, a big mover moving forward. Just, I suppose, uh, in terms of some of our what we call quick fire questions in terms of uh, wrapping things up, do you think, you know, will the thrill of driving become a thing of the past? Do you think we'll lose that? In the future? No, I, I, this is the question everybody discusses in the auto industry. Like, are we going to keep uh, making cars for people to drive? Driving is a pleasure for many people, N not for a lot of people, but for, for, I love driving. I love cars. People that I interviewed for my book, they all, I always said, would you go for a full level five? It's like, nah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, um, it's because moving at speed, it's a fascinating experience. I mean, think about that. You, you get up, have a coffee, walk around. You don't have that unless you jump in a car and you drive. And, and the fact that humans can drive, which is a miracle of God, is exciting because it's beautiful when you do it really well and you really know how to drive on a road. And if it's windy and you know what you're doing, it's even more pleasurable. So I think that it depends on, on how our lifestyle will be, but obviously on long distance 
travel, of course, you want assisted driving. You want to get your feet off the pedals and to really uh, relax. But if you have a cool nippy car that you like taking out, and of course, you want to drive it. I mean, unless for you, driving is a headache and you get really nervous. But I think that level five automation is a utilitarian approach to going places safely. Obviously, the car is going to be perfect. The car will make less mistakes than a human. But then, you know, what if you enjoy driving a very special edition of a car that you love it and you look after it? That will always remain part of the things you enjoy. And I think that the industry will continue to do cars that obviously will be able to sensorize themselves and join that big IoT uh, kind of road, but you will be able to take them off, for example, a mainstream of cars and take them to a smaller road or drive it by yourself. Not everything will be sensorized. I think it will be a, a complete entanglement if we were going to put roadside units all over Somerset. Or- yeah, I, I must admit, I, I do. I do enjoy driving, and uh, even some of the uh, the more boring motorway drives. When you, you're coming back from a meeting, uh, you can be driving, but you're also using it as your personal space to process information. And uh, you know, even driving at night, I find really relaxing. So yeah, I, I'm glad we're not going to lose that, which is pleasing as well. And uh, just moving on to, I suppose, the next question, something which uh, Steve and I find fascinating in terms of some of the responses we get to this. What's your favorite tech gadget? <laughs> From all the ones out there? Yeah, go on. I don't know. Uh, probably a, an ice cream maker. <laughs> We've not had that one before. That's brilliant. I think that kitchens are full of gadgetry, and, and especially now that we all want to be master chefs. I think that my mobile is still something that I value. For example, I left the house this morning without the mobile just when I was driving off with the car and I thought, ah, I don't want to go back. And then I went into town and I realized that my parking app is in the mobile and I didn't have any coins or anything. And I thought, no, that's it. Everything is in the mobile. I should never be without it. That's it. So, yeah, it's one of those Swiss Army knives. Yeah, it can do so many stuff. Absolutely, and I think um, you know most people would opt for the mobile these days out of out of necessity more than probably enjoyment. And I think one of the uh, products that people have listed for enjoyment, which is uh, it's been quite surprising, is uh, virtual reality headsets uh, like the Oculus is becoming really popular. A number of people have listed that. Well, have you played around with them? I haven't, no. I, I, I have with the handles also to pretend that I have digital hands, yeah? And my poor brain is freaking out the whole time because it's aware that I'm standing on my feet, yeah, and that I don't see what's happening around me in the real world. And at the same time, I have to control whatever goes on in that world that's coming at me via my eyes. And I've done a lot of tests with the neuroscientists, all of us playing, you know, with, uh, with the goggles and the little, you know, digital hands that look very freakish. They look like a ghost in front of you. And we all end up really tired. And I asked them, I said, what happens to the brain? And they said, well, the brain starts making all the neurons, create new synapses so that you can survive in that world and not freak out. 
So you only get comfortable when you play and play and play and you use it until your brain has learned to be outside. And then when you put the goggles on and you go into that world, it's comfortable. But the in the first instances, it's kind of like, get me out of this place. I'm freaking out. So no, probably I, I should train more. And obviously the, uh, the metaverse was announced a few weeks ago in terms of uh, Mr. Zuckerberg, and I saw the Icelandic prime minister did an advert that kind of mocked the advert for the metaverse. And he was talking about come to Iceland because it's it's real and enjoy real experiences. So I'll probably stick to the real experiences and may prefer a trip to Iceland at the moment rather than putting one of those on my head. But but who knows? You know, I, I do like emerging tech. I'm willing to uh, to try and book the trend and try new things. So uh, So yeah, watch this space on that. So just to wrap things up, Steve, have you got any questions? No, just to say, really appreciated. Obviously, it's a fascinating topic that I think we can all sort of get behind and relate to. But one of the things, um, the concepts that was introduced that I liked was was the the idea of flow. I think that transfers across from what we're trying to achieve in life and what we'd all like to see from vehicles and the roads as well. So that so that was great. And then the other thing is obviously in the car versus human battle, it looks like the human could come out as inferior. And if that keeps us all safe, then I'll, I'll concede defeat on that front. So really enjoyed um, uh, talking with you today, Inma. I was delighted. It was really enjoyable. And I think that um, we put out there some thoughts that people will appreciate, I hope. Great. Yes. Thank you for your time and uh, a pleasure to have you on the podcast series. And uh, we wish you luck with the book as well. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to ASM Connected, the podcast from ASM Technologies with guest Inma Martinez. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe now to make sure you never miss an update and check out the other episodes in the series featuring key speakers, futurists and business leaders from across the globe. And to find out more about the team at ASM Technologies or about anything discussed in the podcast, visit asmtech.com. This is ASM Connected.